Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stupski, Brad King, Alex Welsh, and Eric Hibbs. It's episode 18, and joining us to celebrate our barely legal status is Tim Strange of Strange Motion Rod and Custom Construction. Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex. I'm Eric. And while Doctor Strange may be the Avenger who has the tallest collar in any scene that he appears in in a Marvel movie, our guest tonight is Mr. Tim Strange, the guy who's likely to have the biggest smile you're likely to see at any car event. It is an absolute honor to be able to introduce a very close friend of mine as a guest on our show tonight. Huge thanks for taking time to be on with us tonight. How are you doing, sir? Good. Good to have you on, man. I wanted to have you on since the beginning of the show. We've never really hooked up. And here we are on uh, episode 18, which uh, makes this uh, kind of like your barely legal debut. <laughs> awesome. Ooh. Three, okay. more, three more episodes and you can drink on the show. <laughs> well, considering that before we went on the air, we were talking about uh, Edward Scissorhands and uh, manscaping. This, uh, and this I really has it. nowhere to go but up. You missed nothing. <laughs> um, That's true. So, man, uh, Tim, uh, obviously well-known in the hot rod world, uh, not only as a builder, but a celebrity in our car world. Uh, super influential with the SEMA show every year. Uh, announcer for good guys at autocross. And if the Wikipedia page I found was correct, you were raised in the wilds of Montana by a troop of lost Boy Scouts, correct? Wow. Uh, n no, I actually grew up in Illinois, and my parents actually wouldn't let me join the Boy Scouts. <laughs> really? um, because the meetings were 15 miles into town, so they didn't have time to take me into town for the Boy Scouts, so I wasn't allowed to be in it. <laughs> I wanted to be, but my older brother Chris did the uh, Boy Scout thing for like three weeks, and every after every Scout meeting, he'd come back with like a black eye. They would, <laughs> they would beat up on all the young Scouts and like tie them up with all the knots they learned. And uh, so when it came time for me to join the Boy Scouts, I was it was a big no. No, I, yeah, along I was, with, I was a along with kid, Little so League, a... uh, along with everything else. You know, my older brother was the guinea pig, and I was the recipient. So that's why you got into cars. Exactly. <laughs> and trouble. <laughs> so, yeah, I was a farm kid, so I was in 4-H instead. Okay. All right. Well, that's a skill you can use. Yeah, them animals helped me pay for a lot of car and BMX parts. So. You bet. You bet. What did you do with 4-H? Was it like pigs or horses? or? I had pigs. Uh, Mom had horses, but we didn't show them uh, steers and heifers. Nice. I knew a girl who had 4-H breasts. She ran really fast into a brick wall. <laughs> That's going to get edited out. Anyway. Yeah. My first car when I was 8 years old. I was a 55 Chevy. Dad always had, he, he built show choppers when I was real little. And then he kind of got 
oh, a bad back and bad kidneys from riding rigid so many years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a long-haired kind of biker hippie, and every year he'd buy a basket case Harley, build it into the basement, and drag it up. We'd build it in the basement, and then him and his buddies would carry it up the basement steps wow. and ride it. And uh, I remember going to biker shows. He would haul his chopper in a little flat-nosed Dodge van that he would put the bike in the back, and we'd cruise around the, the country mile. We lived so far out that every mile had a turn, and I remember all four of us, I got an older sister, we'd sandwich on the harley and go for a cruise then one day he goes i think i need a car mama so he sold that and bought a barn like a field fine 57 chevy and filled it up really cool i shared every once in a while on my social media it had a straight axle tilt front end tunnel ram velocity stacks Traeger, family friendly you know family yeah, car bucket seats chain steering wheel the whole thing we did it all in the garage and wow you know, Farmers with not nice. much money, but every night we were in the in the garage working together. Yeah, farmers <laughs> have the ability to make things out of nothing. It's it's an impressive uh, trait that they have. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and the whole thing really, about. Go ahead. Grew up around you know farmers, but also a really, I look back on it, it was really pretty good car scene. You know, within an hour away, each direction was Peoria, Illinois, which is the location for the first ever Street Rod Nationals. And there was a big car scene there that my uncle used to take me to the big national events like the custom Kemp's lead sleds and street rod nationals and stuff like that. Then the other way up around the quad cities, there was, you know, a good thing, a good crew up there. And actually there for a while, Mr. Roachter lived up in Rock Island right along the river. So you could actually go right to Mr. Roachter's shop and buy hot rod parts. How cool. Yeah, I mean, I remember walking in the showroom there and seeing Kit from Knight Rider sitting there. <laughs> nice, sweet. Uh, see, we should have you on when we do like a TV Tuesday. We'll watch an episode of Knight Rider with you and see if it gives you flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so at, at what point, like, I mean, was there a point in your life when you knew you were just into cars or is it something that kind of crept up on you? And at some point you were just like, well, yeah, cars are my thing. Yeah, it was always just cars and BMX pretty much. Uh, I always knew I just wanted to be all I wanted to do was be a hot rod builder. I, I could, when I moved down here and I went through my mom's my old closet at my mom's house and brought tubs of like, you know, books and stuff from school and i actually found uh like probably fifth and sixth grade that i was drawn shop name logos and my na shop name was already strength motion back then when i was probably in fifth grade <laughs> nice. you know, the only other time the logo ever changed is i had a buddy that was going to run the mechanical side um and that never worked out so then you know a couple years we thought oh man we're going to go in business together he's going to do the mechanic i'll do the pretty you know body side and and that, that never panned out, so I've just always been a, pretty much a one-man shop for 25 years. Oh, cool. So, so okay, so being a one-man shop, obviously you, you don't just go into that and say, well, I'm just going to open up a shop and learn it as I go. Um, formal training-wise, was, was yours just kind of working with your dad, or did you go through formal training and then do some, like, apprenticing, you know, and, and take a variety of jobs? Or did you just, were you born with the magical gift and one day you walked in, you said, I can paint. And, you know, <laughs> kind of like Edward Scissorhands again, you just pull out your hand and, you know, <laughs> well, chop it off. I was going to say, my, my dad always had tri-fives and 
know, buddies had cars and motorcycles and stuff, and we'd paint some stuff. Uh, I remember uh, I, I pretty much had a kids nowadays on our BMX team. I give them a hard time how lazy they are and how easy they have it. I pretty much had a summertime job from the time I was eight years old, dragging hay bales, sorting pigs. And, you know, we was raised to work hard. I mean, my dad said a 12-hour day is a half a day of work. I remember when I was about 10 years old, I was talking about something we were going to do in the shop, in the garage that weekend. And he looked at me and says, boy, if you can think about something other than your work you're doing at the time, you're not working hard enough. So that's <laughs> kind of how I was raised. I mean, we just – I tell my buddy that helps me part-time in the shop all the things that I did before I even had to get on the school bus in the morning. And we lived so far out, I rode the bus for an hour. Um, and he's like, well, I would have told my dad no. And I one, you never told your dad no when you're a farm kid. And that's what all my other buddies did. It was just the farm life. So, I mean, you worked nonstop. And then when I turned 16, um, I actually started working at the body shop just right down the road from the high school. And they did a lot of, like, show car Corvettes and, you know, like, concourse type stuff. Like, the antenna has to be exactly here. You know, somebody modified it. And the owner, Reggie, which I'm still friends with, uh, he he had a cool custom-painted vet with, you know, flared fenders and stuff like that. And him and the guy that worked there um, that has since passed away taught me a lot. I mean, the old guy that worked there taught me how to do candy and pearls and fades and flames and stuff, even when I was still in high school. And then the other thing that the boss did was he was a tournament bass fisherman. So we got into doing Christ bass boats. So by the time I was 18, I could blend in heavy boat flake, the candies, the, you know, the stripes and do all that. Um, even before I was even out of high school, I was doing that. And then I worked there, uh, body school. I went to Scott Community College in Bettendorf, Iowa. Uh, it was over an hour drive and I still lived at home and drove every day across the Mississippi, even in the winter. And then the days that I didn't have class, I would still go back and work at that body shop. Um, and then at, along the same time as that, my parents were running a Christmas tree farm. So I'd come home from all that work till about 2 a.m. cutting up trees and making wreaths. And I was, uh, I'm sure you guys will love this. I was the flocker. So you know, the, the <laughs> flock, white flocking on the trees, I would tie them up and I would put the white, the white flocking. So I was basically painting trees at night until like 2 a.m. And then I'd get up at about 4:30 and drive an hour to school that started. Uh, I had to be there by 6.30 in the morning, and I went to school for five hours, drove another hour, worked at the body shop, and went back home and did the Christmas trees all over again. I did that till I was about 20 years old. So now I can tell people I have met the flocker. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. The flock, flock king of Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The only thing that could make yeah, you, this better would be if you had a sibling that owned like a furniture store and was the sofa king. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I got I got one sister and she's a, a school counselor. Close yeah, enough. Nothing for that. <laughs> yeah. Except a lot of flashbacks to my days in school and I had to spend a lot of time with the school counselor. <laughs> Hey, hey, Tim, I got. I, I want to bring this up because we've talked about this a number of times. The uh, 32 four-door that uh, you built um, that was at SEMA last year, 
it was absolutely my favorite car. And I don't think I saw that until like Thursday. And I, I'll bet I spent an hour crawling around that car. You probably got phone calls and text messages. Hey, this guy's, you know, not touching your car, but <laughs> laying underneath it and stuff. He's, he's touching something near it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was, I was, yeah. that car was so absolutely beautiful. And you've built a lot of cars that have just absolutely blown people's minds. I remember when you built the, the 51 Ford with the 49 grill, uh-huh. um, Gosh, what's that been? Almost ten years. Um, actually, that was we had that at SEMA in two thousand two, the year we got the Good Guys Trendsetter Award. Wow, it's been that long. I just I remember my dad was just went nuts over it because my dad was a big shoebox guy. So yeah, uh, yeah, that was, that was a cool car. I didn't know that was ten years ago. Uh, yeah, more than that. This sold at Barrett Jackson last year, like on a Thursday, bad time zone and. Everybody was giving me kind of a hard time that it sold what they thought a little cheap. Well, it still sold for more money than I sold it for clear back in 2002. So nice. Yeah, it's kind of been butchered up, changed. They they took the paint off the wheels and took the air right off of it and set up like a four wheel drive. So oh jeez. Set of monster mutters and call it done. Yep. (laughs) Damn. I think oh. it, it was the year, what was it, 2003-ish, the first time we crossed paths. <laughs> Man, because that was the year you had your uh, your 54 at uh, the SEMA show. Yep, that was the next year, 2003, when you said that we kind of ran into each other at SEMA. Um, we didn't know what to take to SEMA that year, so we drug out our old 54 Chevy that we actually, I started building that when I was like 20 years old, after I did my Chevelle. I had a high school 64 Chevelle SS that I drove and then redid it. And it won some awards at like Street Machine Nationals and Super Chevy events when I was 19. Um, so I started cutting on this 54 Chevy. All I had was enough money to buy a $150 car. I knew I didn't need the stainless and trim because I was going to shave and cut it. And I started working on that in 1994. I think I got it done. It started hitting the magazines. I was still working at a I moved around a couple Chevy dealerships through the years, um, a couple times. And then when the, the magazine started hitting, the phone started ringing, and I'd been on on my own ever since. That, when it was Pro Street, we actually put 30,000 miles on that thing. I remember one time we wow. did whatever we could do to go to the Street Machine Nationals every year in southern Illinois and DeCoin. And I started out towing with my half-ton short bed uh, square body truck with that heavy 54 on the trailer and didn't make it an hour and a half and i smoked the transmission and you know this was back when all those pro street cars were fairground cruisers you know yeah. the hockey right whereas actually got invited this this is kind of a cool little story you know i was 22 at the time i think maybe 23 when we first got that car done and the year before that rocky robertson kind of met me a pro street kind of superhero guy and invited us he always had a pre-Nats kickoff party at his house because he lived like an hour and a half away. So it took us 11 hours to make that seven-hour drive that day because <laughs> oh, we found some friendly farmer and limped the truck and trailer to it. And we had a whole crew of, you know, Pro Street guys with on their trailers. And they're like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, somebody's hauling my luggage and I'm driving this baby. And they're like, you can't drive a Pro Street car. And I drove that thing to the Nats and back. And it was pretty cool that Rocky More reliable than your half-ton seat. pickup. If Rocky seen something in me, but he took me down in my in his basement. My wife says 
well, what Rocky take you down in the basement for? You know, he's been flying, the, <laughs> taking his young kid down there. But he kind of showed me at that time, you know, he was building stuff for like uh, super shops and performance corner, doing all those, you know, crazy pro street things. And he, he showed me how he did his, his marketing. And, you know, I never really thought about it and trying to make it a better business and work with companies. Back when I was that young, he showed me how he did his follow-ups and not just getting stuff for free and what you have to do that it's, there's no such thing as free parts. And he kind of taught me a lot and we've stayed friends ever since. And I owe him you know, a big thanks that, that he took kind of took me underneath the wing and showed me a, a different side of the hot rod industry that I never really thought about at that time. That's freaking awesome. That seems to be a recurring theme. Like on the podcast is uh, the value of mentoring and, you know, not only having a good mentor, but sponsorships and how those work and how marketing works. And that's really cool to hear your story, how you got taken under somebody's wing, especially a guy like that. I mean, you know, like I said, he was a superstar, especially, you know, at that point in the 90s, man, that guy was, he was at the top of his game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, is that where we're going to talk about sponsorship now? I've got a little bit to say about that. Oh, we can. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, can, I can only imagine you have a little bit to say. Well, I mean, it's this a good is actually thing. good. I, yes. I get younger builders come to me because they know I, that's one thing I've been, I've been way luckier with sponsors and help on our personal projects than I have actually with, with customers in the shop. We don't get those three, four hundred thousand dollar, three million dollar builds. We've never, ever, done that. I mean, when I was, we used to build a car for ourselves every year on the side and sell it. We'd debut it at Good Guys Indy. We'd sell it in the fall and do it all again, build another fresh car nights and weekends over the winter. That's how we got the new customers coming in and, and the magazines and stuff. You know, I've, I've had a really good luck with sponsors on our personal cars because I've always done what I said I was going to do. I've always give them a list of, hey, I'm going to do these, these, this, and this event. And I'll probably do three more. There was many years, even mid-career, that we had to get a car to an event because a sponsor needed it there. We couldn't afford a hotel. We slept in the back of our tow vehicle Suburban and ate peanut butter all weekend, but that car had to be at the event. Wow. 25 years and even doing the TV show, I have never, ever missed a deadline. Yes, I've taken cars to SEMA that looked like they were done and there was no wiring in them and we pushed them in. But, you know, I, I, I helped some kids... Uh, younger builders and it's like you know it's there's nothing for free you have to do it and perform if you sign a contract to play for some basketball team and then you get nervous in front of all these people and you can't make a basket you're sitting on the bench and you're done the next year the companies that i have worked with i have been with for many many years and i've had other big companies that's tried to sway me from using another company and cut me a big fat check and put me in a bunch of ads and stuff like that. And I, I won't do that. I'm, my dad raised me kind of old school that there's a good interview online with Bobby Alloway. He'd be a good one to get on this podcast. And he says, you dance with the person that got you there. You don't yeah. jump around with different sponsors and you stay with the company. So if somebody comes to me and wants to build a car, I've got a certain brake company. I've got the stereo company. I've got the suspension company, the brake company, that the muffler company. But I'm going to use them no matter what. And usually right. a builder or a customer will let you do that. And that's one thing that I guess to tell younger builders, if you get help from somebody, 
make sure you show up. I mean, I know some guys that's got some parts that the car was supposed to be done four years ago. And when I called that company to try to, you know, get a little help and they're like, man, we're not helping anybody because, and they said the guy's name, this guy hasn't got his project done for three years. So we're killing our support to anybody else. And, you know, and other companies, you know, they all know each other. So if you screw up at one company, you're not just going to jump ship and go to another muffler company because they probably know each other. They hang out in hotels, you know, they're all buddies on these right. circuits to all these, you know, good guys in NSRA events. They all know each other. So if you screw up with one company, you're, you're just probably done with anybody. Yeah. Well said. When we get stuff, you know, we make sure it's there. We show pictures. Of course, now with social media, you tag and post. And, you know, if it wasn't for the people that help me and sponsors, I wouldn't even have social media. You're not these guys. I've never booked a job off of social media posts. Yeah, I've sold some T-shirts and stuff. But my social media is, yeah, I post some fun stuff sometimes. But it's it's to plug the people that help me out in the shop. Well, that that's right. thank you for bringing that up because that's what I was going to ask you. Um, as far as comparing how it used to be for you, like way back when you're first starting out working with companies versus today with social media, and do you see a big change in that? Is it something you have to add into your proposal now where you say, I'm going to make sure I post this on social media and they hand you hashtags to use or anything like that? Or is, you know, yeah, like back when I was first started building, you know, national type of cars, um, all they cared about, yes, you just got to get in the magazine. You got to get in the magazine. I had one company that helped me out. They signed me up with their deepest dealer. I bought the first parts in 1996. Um, did everything I was supposed to do. You know, back then, it, there were so many magazines. I mean, when you go to Street Machine Nationals, we'd get seven photo shoots over the weekend and overseas wow. guys. And, you know, I've it's kind of crazy. We've kind of got a list between, like, event coverage that the, I've got mentioned, ads, and features around the world. We've been in an, over 370 magazines around the world. Right on. And that's pretty much a one-man shop in 25 years yeah I've, I've employed a couple my buddies in between jobs and i got a part-time buddy now that helps me but that's all that mattered when i when i was a little kid this is what i never ever had desires to say i'm gonna build a riddler car when i was in fifth grade i was like i'm gonna build a car that's gonna be in street rider magazine or hot rod or popular hot rodding mm -hmm. and that was all my thing because I mean, yeah, I'm a huge history buff for the, the hot rod industry. But I probably can't tell you who won the Riddler Award three years ago. We're kind of on the cover of Street Rider magazine that year. I mean, I've still, I'm still, I'm an old, I, I said that the other day. I said, I still feel kind of young. Well, some days I can't hardly walk, but. <laughs> you know, I'm mid-40s here and I've been in the industry a long time, but it's like some of this stuff, I says, I'm almost getting old enough that I want to yell at kids to stay out of my yard. <laughs> <laughs> Get off my grass. Yeah. And, you know, back then, that's all it, it mattered. But now the social media is, is, you know, huge. You know, I got, like, I'm lucky I'm sponsored by Rockstar Energy. All they care about is tags on Instagram. They don't, my sponsor guy that I deal with, he doesn't really care about Facebook and certain companies care about this. And 
one company wanted to do Twitter. I was like, I ain't doing Twitter. I don't, I do that. I do Instagram and Facebook and that's it. But yeah, when we do proposals, like even like SEMA cars, we've been really lucky with the new, you know, dollar program that they give you a new car and you build for the SEMA show for all the corporations. And now you include how much views your social media has. And if you've got a YouTube channel, which we do some stuff on that, that's super important too. Some of the OEM, they don't care about magazines. They don't think people read magazines anymore. They want social media and YouTube. Oh, and, and, and you got to imagine, you know, that's, it's really good for them, especially if you do, like you said, you're concentrating on the good ones. If you're going Instagram and YouTube, you're concentrating on the two that are more or less evergreen as far as the freshness of the content goes. Because you can always yeah. scroll back really easily on either one of those. Facebook is a whole different world where once it's posted, it's gone in 25 minutes. Yeah, right. Facebook anymore starts to be political rants, religious <laughs> rants, and yeah. your, your weird old aunt sending you a personal message out where everybody can see it. <laughs> I had social media I had a guy that you know, I'll just say I've, I've grown up being a BMXer all my life and hot rods that's all I've really ever known uh, you know some of my buddies car guys this weekend I was at Columbus was giving me a hard time about my my van shoes and my flat build hat and I just kind of looked at him and I was like well that's what everybody else wears that I hang out with but I thought about it and it's like 90% of the time when we're not at a car show we're hanging out with our BMX friends you know, their kids and everything. So I guess it's just a yeah. little, it's a little different circle, I guess. So well, I was gonna say you were beating yourself up for feeling old, but man, you both, both you and your wife are still really active in BMX. Yeah, that's. We don't sit still very much. That's kind of our stress relief from the BMX world. My wife actually made the U.S. Worlds team last year on race. Uh, in 07, she did too. I actually haven't had time to touch my bike this year because I ended up five and a half run of a hundred hour weeks. Um, but I lost, that's, that's my new business plan. I lost almost 20 pounds. So it's hard to make money building hot rods for a living. So I'm going to open a hot rod fat camp. <laughs> <laughs> that's my idea. Fat retired guys that want to sand on a hot rod for a week or two. And you know, about yeah. everybody's retired wife. Will, yeah. I'll send you off to hot rod <laughs> fat camp and, <laughs> they'll lose you know, so many pounds and work on a cool car, and I'll get some free labor out of people. So that's my business. Yeah. Point. I need to copyright that. Right? right on. This would be a twofold <laughs> win if you're a fat old guy who wants to lose weight and you're running from the law because you put him standing enough cars, those fingerprints are gone, man. Yeah, yeah. My wife always <laughs> says I, I work by myself because I'm an asshole to work with, but that, that, might, that might be. I, I, I demand out a lot out of people when they, they work with me but yeah the, the bmx thing we've sponsored uh, I, I grew up racing bmx and bmx kept me out of a lot of trouble and you know we never really had the money to go i went to one national a year never went to the grand nationals and i remember what you know what it meant to me when i got on a local bike shop team so for the past man, it was the summer after we did our 54 so it's been 15 years we've been running a factory level bmx race team we started racing again when my niece was young she actually made the world's team in 07 and never rode a bike again, did all the school sports stuff when she was like 11. And uh, we just we just keep doing it. It's a thing that we like to do. And, you know, 
a lot of cool guys also raced BMX growing up. Like Daryl Hollenbeck was a badass. Zane Cullen, Dave mm-hmm. Tucci, you know, Chip Foose raced a little bit. Larry Dixon, you know, yeah. a lot of guys raced BMX, especially Southern California guys and uh, skateboarded and all that. So we, we, we've sponsored as many as 25 kids in a year. Kicker Car Audio helps out and gives a rider of the year a stereo. Cool. Uh, we always were too busy to have our own kids. So, you know, it's way easier to take some kids on some BMX trips. We took a couple kids to Arizona last year, got them qualified for the Worlds, and they went to South Carolina. The Worlds were in the U.S. last year. And you know, it's way cheaper to buy some trips, some bike frames, and some cool stuff like that. And uh, we don't have to pay for college or braces for any kids. So. <laughs> last time you were that. in Arizona, I offered you three kids at some, at a point, and they were all potty trained and pretty much ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's hard to believe me and me and my wife. These people trust. The, I mean, we take kids all over the country when we take we've taken kids out of the country, and parents have signed over guardianship. We went to Canada for the Worlds in '07, and. The, the cool, we, you know, young kids and older are the cool. Another cool thing we got on our BMX team is we have the oldest competitive female BMXer. She's a lady out of uh, Des Moines, Iowa, that's a retired superintendent principal. And no she's way. had both knees and both hips rate replaced and she still races. <laughs> so she's bionic. So she's a cheater. Five uh-huh. years old. She's being, <laughs> been on CNN, MSNBC, and she was on the Steve Harvey show in January. Wow. How so neat. We, wow. we got a really cool group of people. So that's our stress relief from the hot rod world. Like I say, we don't sit still too much. A couple of years ago for Christmas, my wife wanted a recliner, and I told her no because that encouraged sitting. So she had to go buy her own recliner because I refused oh. to buy a recliner. <laughs> I can go three months without even going to the living room and turning the TV on. Yeah, see, I don't watch TV at all. I just I don't have time. I was trying to think of the last time I sat on my couch and I was trying to figure that out the other day. I was letting the dogs outside and I looked at the couch and I was like, man, I don't remember the last time I sat on it. The and dogs probably think you'd be sitting in their bed anyway. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what it's like. They look at me like, oh, and, and you are? Yeah, they go in the living room and the you? like, what are you doing? Oh my God. So how did you get into BMX? Um, a couple local... I, you know, this is something you don't see anymore. When you go to the grocery store, you don't see kids standing there reading magazines. Oh, and I remember right. BMX Plus. BMX. Absolutely, man. Oh. I, oh, I had every episode of the from when I was a kid. I just picked up a BMX Action magazine and just fell in love with it. And, you know, being a farm kid, small town, and where we bought our grain for our cows and stuff, uh, the guy that worked there, his kid raced. So I got to go watch him a couple times. It took me a couple years to actually talked my parents into letting me race BMX because like I say that we worked and we didn't have a lot of money and the track was an hour away. So it took me almost two and a half, three years to talk my parents and actually let me race because it just, well, that's just spending money. What's that going to do? That was, you know, I, I didn't have a, a, when I tell my stories, it was not a bad childhood. We just worked and didn't have much money. You know, my dad's still one of my best friends and, um, we're getting ready to build a car together and uh it just took a while for them to see and then you know then he understood that i, I really liked doing it it was a stress relief from all the work that we were doing around the farm um i paid for everything from a little kid you know of course i got bike parts and stuff like that for christmas and birthdays yeah. uh, just raced and i just absolutely loved it there was a time that i really wanted to 
before you know, all the traveling, it's like all the pros lived in Southern California and I had it all planned out where all the cool tracks were and the training places and the hills to ride, and, and, you know, just, <laughs> just like the car stuff, you know, just memorizing the magazines because we lived so far out in the middle of nowhere that there was nothing except magazines came to life every, every month. You know, it's not like YouTube and all the TV. You know, we only had, we had three TV channels at the house. And then I remember when we got, you know, the Fox channel and that you could only get that when the weather was right. And so it's just, <laughs> I just love, you know, the magazines and, you know, we had video games, but we had to do all of our work all week and do all the chores. And if we did good and didn't get in trouble, we were allowed, allowed to play our video games for one hour on Sunday. So I suck at video games, so I'd rather go ride my bike and be outside, you know. So I just love BMX. I still do. And uh, so it kept me out of a lot of trouble. So that's why we do BMX stuff. We had one of the BMX kids uh, lives up Quad Cities in Illinois, and he chose to come down on a spring break and work in the shop with me and helped on this panel truck that we just finished. And then my wife took him to a race. And then, so I asked him, so me and this 16 year old BMX kid, Dylan actually went on the hot rod power tour together that year and took him out and maybe corrupted him a little bit, but you know, had a good time. <laughs> 16 year old BMX kid out, out doing the power tour together. How neat. So I, I rode a lot of BMX when I was a kid too. And it's funny because now I still want to do it, and I I found an old uh, red line and an old Diamondback. I thought, oh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get back into riding. And then I go out and I you know jump off the curb. I think, oh, that kind of hurt. Maybe you know I keep thinking I'm gonna go over to the skate park and show up all these 16 year old kids. <laughs> and then I think, you know, if I break my wrist, I can't work <laughs> or eat tacos. Yeah, oh, I did that when I tacos. came back to racing. Uh, you know, 15 years ago, I thought I could ride like I was still 20 and. Yeah, needless to say, I've got a lot of plates and screws. I've my wife broke <laughs> collarbones. I've spent some time in the hospital with collapsed lungs and broken ribs, and uh, yeah. I don't really like to leave the ground much. The, the racing's totally different than it was back in the '80s, and oh yeah, it used to be and, big air, and and now it's you know more speed. Yeah, at at the national events, you know, it's kind of staying low and manual and basically riding wheelies through the jumps on your back tire and. Mm-hmm. You know, the, now that it's in the Olympics, it, it's a collegiate sport, and I've known a dozen kids that's got full rides to go to college through BMX. Wow. Whoever thought that would be imagined. Wow. Good friend from Tucson, he made the Olympic team and went to the Olympics, and you know it's no it's kidding. crazy. But... That's so funny. I, I I didn't even realize there was a uh, you know collegiate sponsors for BMX. That's so neat. Yeah, there's. You know, quite a few colleges around the country that do it. They actually have some collegiate events at some of the normal USA BMX nationals. And then they, when they get these kids on BMX, they also put them into mountain bikes and road cycling. And we got uh, mm-hmm. our friend Allie. She was a BMX girl pro, and she went to uh, one of the you know, one that wins all the championships, the good collegiate school in Indy. And now she's a, a pro road cyclist, and she does like the female versions of the Tour de France, and you know kicked serious butt so that's so cool yeah man and it, it seems funny it's like for almost anyone who's in the hot rod industry it seems that was our gateway it was bmx bikes yeah and the next logical step was always either a volkswagen or a mini <laughs> truck yep yeah had them both <laughs> yeah to me it, that you know bmx and the hot rod stuff you know it's it's speed that you know they're all aluminum now, except I still ride chromoly and 
they're shiny and you trick parts. So, it's, you know, tricking out stuff with aluminum. So they were little hot rods back then. And I think that's why there's so many BMXers grew up that are in the hot rod industry from fabricators to builders to whatever, just, just a ton of them. And it's funny yeah, too, well, how many hot rod builders go out now and spend just huge dollars restoring vintage bikes from like, you know, that, like, especially the golden era, like, you know, 84 through like 87, 88. Yeah. I've still got all my old stuff. And for a handful of years there during the street ride nationals in Louisville, because of course, you know, we go to enough races. We know all track directors everywhere. We did a hot rod industry BMX race for a few years there and until they changed the track and made it a little too technical for guys that haven't rode in 10, 15 years. So we had a pretty good turnout. <laughs> the very first year we did it, like street rider come out and took some pictures and got it in the magazine. And, you know, the guys from Denny Jair and Art Morrison and everything, they were all hanging out watching us crazy kids. They called us ride the BMX track. That, that, that was cool. <laughs> that was a cool deal. And that was one of the little things that, uh, Again, aside from just pretty much giving me a great jump in my career as you did by introducing me to a ton of people, that was one of those cool little jobs that every year you'd come to me and I got to do the artwork for those t-shirts for that event. And yeah, you'd always just... do like a cool vintage bike jumping over a hot rod and yeah, it's pretty cool. The two guys that won the big car thing, they won't be here to collect their trophies because they're both in the hospital. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, yeah. <laughs> But that's so okay. So let's see. We've got your 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 rise to stardom. Now to touch on, I guess I don't want to say a darker side, but a little different side of things. Uh, there was there was a point when you dabbled in what is now very popular in the world, the whole reality TV side of things. But you you took a really you took a decidedly different route through it. And, you know, instead of it being this drama-filled, you know, uh, you know, the angry, dysfunctional family throwing wrenches at one another <laughs> and coming up with, you know, the blender car or, you know, the Mr. Fusion car. <laughs> you, you Mr. Were... Fusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little one for you. Uh, it, it, I enjoyed it. You, you took this route where you did something really cool with cars on Search and Restore. Are we allowed to say this show name? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, it's I want to make sure it wasn't going to come back. On, my like, on you... Life channel, it's still on primetime. Oh, I'm surprised. It should really be on the Hallmark channel. How awesome would that be? A little bit of yeah, editing, right. some softer yeah. focus. That could be a really different yeah. show. I did now that, now that you're older, it's sponsored by Ben Gay. So, yeah. yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave. Jared Vital. Centrum Silver. Yeah. Holy crap, it's just getting ugly in here. Oh, wow. Yeah, the fact of growing older. Well, oh. it was it was on the power block, the weekend stuff on Spike that had been on there for almost 20 years. And it was actually okay. their idea for the show. So some people that have TV shows, it does really good things for them. This, I volunteered um, on one of Kevin Tetz's show, the, the Trucks TV one time. Like, like they did what they called it, all-star body thrash. We did a week-long welding patch panels and, you know, paint. Or they, we put it in primer, I think, that time. And um, so it was kind of in their head, and they come up with this idea about a year later, and they flew in a few dudes, uh, uh, did screen tests. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess I did okay. Uh, Spike said they want the, the tattooed guy. 
So I guess the white scratch tattoos worked better for me on, on that, that side <laughs> idea, I guess. But it was their idea for the show. It was a quarterly special, and it was kind of like, I like to say, enhanced overhauling. I have seen one build, of those shows. I do each, recall it now. Yep. Yeah. Each build got a half hour or four half hour shows. Um, and we got a lot of story with the people. Half the first episode was the story and how we picked these people. And uh, so, we, you know, we did cars for a guy that dated in this car with his wife. And she got cancer and passed away when she was pregnant. And they saved the baby. And then we started, you know, built the car and then started a college fund for the kids. I mean, we did a lot of stuff like that. We did for a military guy. We did for a guy that I'm still good friends with. Chad Terhar's 55 wagon. That's wagon. the show I remember. I remember yeah, that show a, specifically. He was a BMXer and a motocrosser and got paralyzed. We built, you know, his car. And now it's, it's really kind of crazy. I, I wrote this story once when Paul Hansen passed away. That's the family that we built that copper Buick for that me and Brian just put our heads together and built a really bitching car in it. He's since passed away. But the 32 four door you mentioned earlier, I just built for his son and his wife. And uh, it was a big, long story, but that car was stalled out in our shop and met them at Blackie's Fresno when we had our 54 out there. And it sat and a lot of trouble with the wife and stuff. But, you know, no car could be worth that much money. He was hiding the car from his wife and we got to sell it and Hanson's picked it up. And then that car got to be three times the car it was ever going to be. I got to do a whole West Coast tour and go to Tulsa and Detroit with that car. I was standing beside that car at SEMO when Kevin Tetz came up and asked me to volunteer on his show. Well, then we did this show that helped people, and like Chad Terhar totally changed his life. Now he's manager and fabricator at J-Rod's Custom up in the Seattle area. You know, we started college funds for these kids, and the show, they didn't, they paid me, but they didn't pay all these volunteers, and each week we got 10 to 15 different fresh volunteers and they got a little plug for their shop and got to wear their shop shirts. And some of them shops got so busy that they had to add more staff. So other people got jobs and then they had a couple guys had to change locations because the exposure made their shop grow so much, you know, and all that. And I I wrote this little story when Paul Hansen passed away and actually got published in a book as a whole chapter. Um, Like the one phone call in this hot rod world can totally change the world for so many people. Of course. Yeah, that was, the perfect you know perfect storm or whatever that that car turned into being asked to be on a tv show that turned into a tv show that helped all these people but that's what people don't think about that we're building cars for people but the right car can totally change and that one customer and that one car leading into that tv show probably changed 100 people's life for the better wow wow easily yeah I mean, it's it's funny because I know like you and Chad became good friends after that, and and I was fortunate enough I became friends with Chad after that. That show, I think, when when you look back on it, that show altered so many things in such a good way. And it's yeah, and we didn't we didn't do drama because the Power Block, it's the Power Nation now. The Power Block wasn't about that reality. There were how to shows. They were very well respected. Yeah, they're not for everybody because it's more for the <laughs> The guy doing it in his garage, learning how to do this or that. It's not for the people that go to good guy shows and stuff like that. I don't really think that normal. So our show kind of was a different fit for that. And it was on 
No, it wasn't a primetime show. It was on morning weekends. But since I was a hired TV host, I wasn't allowed to show my logo. They never mentioned my shop name. So it helped. I can't say it helped business being on TV, but that was a weird thing. It's not like, you know, Joe Martin got his Martin's logo on TV all the time. That's helping him. Kindig right. sells a whole bunch of T-shirts. Mm-hmm. You know, that was in their shop. They get the control of that. And uh, I mentioned them because that's two of the three shows that I actually can watch on TV in the Odyssey <laughs> world. And um, so I was a hired host, so I was really controlled. Like, I wasn't even allowed to start an Instagram page because I didn't have one. They wanted me to pull my Facebook page down. They wanted me to take my work shirt off when I went to lunch and not talk to anybody when they came up in person. Because to the people that own that place, we were just a mechanic. And she said we could be replaced from anybody at the local dealership. She didn't understand the talent that they had from the guys on the engine show to the truck show to the four-wheel drive to the muscle car. There was some serious talent in that building when I was there. And some guys, pretty much all of them gone except like two of them. And I'm still friends with most of them. Wow. It's just, it's just a weird, weird world that the TV is. I had to, I kind of had to move my shop because people would beat on the door and they'd find me because you know, good and bad. My life's name is tied to my shop. So it's easy to find me online. So yeah, it helped t-shirt sales for quite a while for a few years there. But you know, I, I could keep thinking I could change how I have my shop now because we're south of Nashville just a little bit. We found a small town. I only moved here because I found a cheap building. I bought 8,000 square feet. It's an old Pontiac dealership from the 20s. It looks like crap from the outside. There's no sign on the <laughs> building. The door is locked every day. My area code for my shop that you get on my website is not even the area code that we live in. <laughs> and that's what kind of happens when you're on TV that nobody warns you about. You know, everybody's... And- Everybody thinks you, you want to be on TV so you get famous, but they don't tell you the bad side of that. And again, my show wasn't a primetime show, so you know, it wasn't as known because it was on the weekend mornings as some places. But I was in a show one time. We had a car there on, from the West Coast. These two guys walked up, and they wanted to fight me because I was on TV. This is the <laughs> stuff they don't tell you about because they said that I was lying to everybody because they said that we build a car in four weeks. And I was like, well, we do. We couldn't touch the car if the cameras weren't rolling. Yes, we had the car in the shop for a couple months before so I could get all the parts ordered. But in four weeks, we built that car. We built them on two weeks, and then we had a two-week break, organized the shop, and get all the next stash of parts there. And then we built it in two weeks, and it must drive at the end of that fourth week out of the building to do the shots. And we kept them for two more weeks to make sure everything was right and road tested and the computers were tuned and all that. But four weeks we built those cars, but we showed on TV and we told them these guys just obviously weren't very good at math. Because I told them, (laughs) how long you been working on your car? He's like, bro, we work on it every weekend. I was like, okay, every weekend. That's two days with two. How many other guys come by? Oh, sometimes we got four or five guys. You ever watch the NASCAR race? Oh, yeah, every weekend. You ever drink beer? Oh, yeah, all the time. You got pizza? Oh, yeah. So we were locked <laughs> in a studio for 18 hours a day. We couldn't talk on our cell phones, and all the parts were there. We didn't have to go to the parts store. We did go for lunch sometimes, and I said, 10 to 15 dudes every week working these hours. Some of those cars had 3,000 man hours squeezed into them in four weeks. Wow. That's what people don't think about. And yeah, just 
the, to kind of tie things in, you know, you had mentioned the Resilience Buick and the show. And I can say from firsthand, I recall when the, the Resilience car was going together, I still remember getting on a plane because I had to go back east for a then family thing for that Christmas. That entire Christmas week, you busted your rear end on that car to get it to a point where we knew it was going to be able to debut that following month at the Grand National Roadster Show. On Christmas Day that year, I laid on my back and wet sanded the floor pan for 12 hours on Christmas Day. I remember that. And it's funny. I feel bad. You guys were out there busting your ass out in the cold and everything like that. And I was sitting at my then in-law's house working on the computer, putting together the bill book. (laughs) So I think I had the easiest job ever. I got to hang out with probably Dave Neal that you've done some artwork on some trucks for him. And him and Sean Ray used to be my go-to guys when I lived in Illinois. Now I only got one like go-to dude down here in Tennessee. I've got to meet all new crew. And, um, he was there and it was an ice storm. It was like below zero. It was icing. He was iced in. He couldn't go home, which I was like, awesome. I get more work done out of this dude. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, it's weird. Cause you think about it. He was helping me, but at the same time he was going, getting ready to start a divorce. So I was kind of helping him to get him out of the house too. You know, this car stuff's a bigger thing when you stand back and look at the big picture than just getting these cars done. Oh yeah. And, uh, we were working and I was like, okay, we're finally getting ready to put some color on. I remember it was on the lift because the front end was molded on that car and we were doing it top to bottom, going to cut and rub everything, paint the bottom of the inner fender wells, you know, base clear and the engine compartment all at the same time that night. And I mixed up the paint and um, the power goes out. Oh, shit. Oh, air no. And we look at each other. It's like, what are we going to do? I just mixed up this paint, you know. Budgets are always tight. I can't buy more paint, you know. And I didn't mix up at all. I had, you know, enough to paint that I needed to do that night. And I was worried about, you know, I'm going to have enough paint left over to do the rest of the car. You know, I'm always, you know, just always paranoid about everything. And so it was like, well, let's lose, use a touch-up gun. And we put flashlights on the floor and we taped flashlights to our heads. And there was just enough air in that compressor to use a little bitty touch-up gun. It was like a Kras and Bernie episode. (laughs) (laughs) We were laughing. And and it's like I had just enough air in that big compressor to paint to – the sealer was already down to put the color and clear the bottom of the inner fender wells and the inside of the fenders, the firewall, and the tops of the inner fender wells. And I was like, when the power comes on tomorrow, what the hell is this metallic going to look like? That was probably the most even metallic that I've ever sprayed in my life. We were laughing about that this weekend in Columbus. Like, the things we do, and as like I say, I've never missed a deadline. And then, like, we had to slide to the house on our butts because the ice was – you couldn't even walk outside. And it's like, oh, my goodness. That's yeah, awesome. I want to I wanna live there. That sounds like a fun place. No, yeah, it was awesome. Right. <laughs> So when did the power come on? I mean, obviously you got it done that night with the flashlights and the air you had left. St. Patrick's Day of the following year. It was, <laughs> it was on by next morning. It came back on. Oh, man. Well, you got it done. Wow. You got that part done. That's yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah. You were saying that, you know, you are by design. It's not necessarily hard to get a hold of, but, you know, just staying out of limelight so you can work. You know, how do how do customers find you? Um, there are or do websites, you find your customers? 
figure if the customer's not smart enough to call me on the telephone or send me an email, they're not smart enough for me to build a car for. <laughs> for years, you know, maybe it's kind of hurt me. Like I say, I've never got, you know, a super big dollar build. And I can say, and this is this is the side I wish they would actually show a reality TV show on. Um, in 25 years, I've probably had less than five customers that paid their bills on time. This is the stuff of this industry that people don't talk about that my best customers have been like Hanson's are awesome. We just built that 32 for, and when his dad was alive, we built oh, the Buick so gorgeous. but you know, they work in the finance industry, so they understand finance. Mm-hmm. And if you don't pay, you don't get your work done too many times. We've had sponsors on stuff and deadlines on cars and what, what I always say, what I always fight is what I have called, another thing I should probably copyright, is the buffet syndrome. When you go to the buffet, you pile on three <laughs> plates of food and you can't eat one plate. <laughs> Same thing happens in the hot rod world. They come in and they want this, 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 and this. Well, they can't afford that. Right. And it's just, that's the buffet syndrome. And, uh, and I don't know how to check people out to see if they're real or not. The Ring Brothers said they Google map them to see what the houses they live in. That's what they said. That's <laughs> like probably a really good idea. But uh, yeah, this isn't, you know, and they're building way three times bigger budgets than I, you know, than I've ever got. So, I mean, it's it's just a weird thing as to say I've fought and fought to get paid for all these years, you know, and that's why I do the announcing because it gets me out of the shop. I get to see people and I get paid before I'm done. So, I mean, people see our cars at shows is how we get jobs, we think. It used to be magazines used to bring in the jobs. Um, right. Like that, the Hanson 32, we, we did well with that and toured it. And it's got shot for Wheel Hub magazine that's going to be coming out. And it got a big 6-7 spread in street water and a cover. I've never had a full cover in street water. And you would think that kind of tells you the, the the world that we live in now that maybe people don't pay as much attention to the magazines because that car was on Street Rotter on the cover. The only calls yeah. that I got was other shop guys congratulating me. You know, a lot of my mentors, guys that I still look up to, shop guys, they call me. It's like, wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. Cover on Street Rotter and text messages. It's like, oh, my God, those guys pay attention. But the fresh customers maybe don't seem to be paying attention to the magazines like I, they used to. I still think magazines that's well, Hanson's is, you know, his dad built a car with Steve Mole and Chase Stafford the Riddler and won the AMBR and Eric says we, right. we build this four door, we're just building a cool family car and we'd like to get it in a magazine. We don't care about the award. So I mean it did some cool stuff, a hot rod reunion and you know, different things that we took it to. We took it to a lot of things just to be on display but you know, but then again, there's not as many people wanting street rods now. They want Mustangs and Camaros and Chevelles. You know, mm-hmm. still my diehard. I I would love to build either customs or try five Chevys all day long. I'm a custom guy at heart. I love customs, but that market's really really small anymore. And if I had to pick one car to work on nonstop, would probably be try five Chevys. So right on. <laughs> so that's where that's where your love is. Well, I just. I say my dad always had try five, so he always bought stuff that had buckets of bolts. So I could dig through a bucket of bolts and know, well, 
that's the hood hinge bolt because it's got that marking on it. That's the door <laughs> hinge. That's the, you know, I was the I was the dig through the bucket guy. So. <laughs> nice. Too cool. So you know that. So how do you find your customers? I mean, rather than customers finding you, I mean, do you ever search out to, to reach out to, to individuals or? Yeah, there's a few guys that every once in a while I was like, me and Brian's probably got a dozen things that we put rough sketches <laughs> on paper and a couple <laughs> yeah. things from Jimmy Smith that I've got put down. And uh, I, I fish them out to customers every once in a while and put little teasers on social media. But like I say, you're probably not going to get a customer on social media, but. You don't want to put the whole project out or put it on your website because right. then you're scared that somebody's going to steal the idea. Oh, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Next year, Columbus Shop yeah. X shows up with your project build. Yep. <laughs> That's it. I, I would love to see, and I'm just going to plant this out there for anybody listening. We came up with a bitchin' 57 Ford concept. And yeah. that car needs to be built. Yeah. Nice. God, that car would be so cool. So I'd ask, I'd ask you what, you know, this for some of the details, but you know, now since that was just said, we, we can't <laughs> tell you it's a 57. That's it. <laughs> I'd say 57 ish. Cause it's got a little bit of everything on it. A lot of cutting and moving. And yeah, we put that thing on paper probably five years ago and it's still, it still would hold strong with all the ideas that we put on that thing. But yeah, let, let's just say, you know, get a hold of Tim once this episode's out. Yeah, if you want to build that car, that I I will say that would set some that would set some stuff on its ear. It'd be a very cool car. Now, now, Tim, I gotta I gotta say something. We we don't really know each other. We we met once, and you know this this gig right here. But uh, you know, reading about some of the stuff you've done, I I got I got to tell you, thank you. And uh, this is going to sound a little cheesy. This is kind of it's kind of off topic here for a second, but not a lot of builders thank everybody who's involved. And this is this is a discussion Brian and I have had many times because I'm I'm in the industry. I'm a pinstriping, lettering guy, custom paint guy. Done a lot of stuff out there. Whether well, I get never, credit never for with it, a flashlight strapped to your head. Right? That's not. Uh, <laughs> no, I've done that many, many times. <laughs> many, many times. I've got one on now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, I've done lots of magazine stuff. Lots of stuff that I never got mentioned. You know, somebody else may get credit for it, or you know, the shop is like, we did all this in house or whatever. And Brian has been in that same boat where he's put zillions of hours in something and never got a mention because, you know, they wanted to keep the name themselves or didn't want to say that they had help. You always gave credit to uh, other people that were involved in that. And I want to tell you, thank you because not a lot of shops do that. And, uh, it's yeah, a pretty, I, pretty awesome thing. When I, when I say I'm a one man shop, I mean, I'm the only guy in the shop. Like my wife was gone for a week and a half. And the only people that I talked to in person was a lady at the restaurant because our power was out at home. I couldn't use the oven and the guys at the parts store. For a week and a half, I never talked to another person face-to-face. Yeah, I talked to people on the phone, but, I mean, I don't build my motors. I don't build the transmissions. I don't build my rear ends. I don't cut and make the leather that the cow came off. So you're not really a one-man shop. It's kind of like those mini truckers saying, built, not bought. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, that's kind of a dick move to your customers because you're still working for that customer. And, you know, yeah, they're the guy writing the check is putting the food on your table. So I'm totally fine with that bought bought and thing but yeah you got to thank the people i mean even 
of buddies that, that come. I mean, my buddy Scuba Steve, I met him at the TV studio. Everybody has a Scuba Steve, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, yep. He did skip the merchandise out at the TV studio and actually had the CDL to legally drive our truck and trailer for our surprise pickups for the show. <laughs> and he, he worked someplace else now, but he come and helped me on this panel truck we just built for Royal, Royal Purple. And he come down three nights a week. He lives an hour away and a day on the weekend. You know, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have made the power tour for that. But as he says, he texts me, he goes, you need me? I'm like, you want to come out? Yeah, I want to do man shit. That's what he says. He <laughs> says, <laughs> want to do man shit. That's what he says. But yeah, I mean, I, I know awesome. a, lot of, a lot of shops that don't give credit where the credit is. You know, this weekend at Columbus, you know, Rad Rides won Street Rod of the Year. And he had his main dude, like his project manager, right up there with him. And I thought right. it was kind of cool. You never used to see that. And I think he's changed how he does that now. But it was, it was kind of neat seeing that. It's nice. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's not a, it's not that it's an ego thing. I, I just think it's really cool. I think I know what Brad's saying is it's neat to know, you know, you've always been stand up like that. Anyone who comes in and turns a wrench, you give thanks to, I mean, you appreciate the work that goes into it. Yeah. You know, for some guys out there, yeah, I get it. it whatever. Maybe it's their marketing thing, you know, one man shop. Yeah. I mean, I figure one day if I come up with the money, I want to have a completely artisanal shop where I'm going to literally raise the cows. You know, it's going to take you 15 years for me to build your car. <laughs> like Kobe leather interior. Right. You can, you, you can, the, the, your kids can come down on the weekends, feed the, feed the cow some beer, give it a massage. But you really have to have like a third or fourth generation cow to really call it your cow, though. <laughs> Have your own foundry where you're stamping out your own steel, <laughs> hammering it yourself as it's coming out of the forge. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And all the food that we eat during lunches and everything will be grown in our own garden. It's <laughs> going to be uh, pretty impressive. So, so, Tim, you know, you know that said, you you are essentially a one man shop, but of course, you know there are other talents that are involved. How many cars a year do you build? Um, we built this, this panel truck as a promo vehicle for Royal Purple. And it's, you know, it's built to be a cool driver. It's not a big show winner and going to indoor shows. It is going to be in their booth indoor at SEMA. Um, after the chassis was built, I built that thing in five months. And I, wow. like I said, I did 100 hour weeks again. I mean, I can't count how many family things I've missed, things that my wife's had to do without me because I've been in the shop on deadlines. I'm trying to change that and actually get out in the world and you go, you just hurry and you go to, I've drove across country going to car shows 20 times. I've never had time to stop and see the Grand Canyon, you know, just <laughs> stuff, stuff like that, that, you know, getting older, sometimes you just never know when we're going to drop. So yeah. just try to get out and enjoy the world. But like I say, I, I don't have the, I don't know how to say this without being mean to some of the, I, I don't have the customers that allow me to, like I said, I, I don't know. I don't, right now, I have a bunch of fill-in projects that are in here that mm -hmm. have been on hold for so long, and now we're trying to get them all finished up. And that one guy just die on me. And uh, oh. every, every couple times a year, I go, and I'm going to California to help my buddy Zane for a week because he's got some deadlines coming up. I do that sometimes. Like I say, I, like some people don't always give credit. I've, I've skim-coated, mudded cars that's made – street machine of the year top fives and been in different magazines and some mention you some don't i've i've 
traveled and cut and rubbed Riddler grade eight cars for different shops. I mean, when you travel for these shops, a lot of my good buddies are they're car builders because that's who I see on the weekends when we're at the shows. You know, right? My broad brothers, or I say, I love them like brothers. Or Dave Tucci on the up in New York and Zane Cohen out in California. I mean, since we met, we just been, you know, it's like we're brothers because we all grew up around BMX and now we're hot rod guys. And I've been to both of their shops and help. And you know, it's it's kind of weird, but you know, we're all in the same industry. But it's a big enough industry to be friends with these guys too. So it's pretty bunch of rad dudes in this industry for sure doesn't he exactly you touched on a point that i was going to make and i was going to say you you've always got your hands involved in something and i think if we were to sit down at some point and make a list of all the cars you jumped in and helped on people would be absolutely floored i mean yeah you've been man you've been instrumental in coming in especially at the 11th hour on a lot of these cars and just yeah i got a buddy that he booked a job this weekend at columbus and he says, get this. He goes, the guy showed me a picture of the engine compartment on the Domino C10 you built. And he says, I want this. <laughs> he goes, you want to come to the shop and build it? And I was like, yep, you're going to pay me. I'll come to the shop and build it. You don't have to tell him I was there. So. <laughs> wow. Like ghost builder, you know. Hey, maybe yeah. that's maybe that's, that's pretty cool. That's actually, there you go. Just sign your name really big on the firewall, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just so you can only see it from a certain angle. That'd be great. <laughs> and make like, sure it's the talking... angle that every photographer shoots from. Yeah. We, we were kind of touching on, on customers and stuff like that. And really, probably, like I say, I've had probably less than five customers. I mean, some of these customers have had more than one car built um, that paid their bills. And honestly, the reason that I've always stayed one-man shop for all these years is because I've never been busy enough to hire a guy. I've had all these crazy deadlines, and then you're always looking like, well, what's down the road? And like I said, since I've had so much trouble of customers paying their bills or, you know, they lose their job or this guy just died, you know, like you can't control that. It sucks. Right. Um, that I've always been too stressed about paying that, that employee's check that I've just never added somebody on because, you know, the TV kind of hurts you that way too. I was just talking to another dude about having some work done on a car and, seen on social media that he posted he was taking it someplace else I'm like dude i thought you were bringing it here he goes well i didn't want to wait three years i go what do you mean he goes i figure you had a three-year wait and i'm like well i gotta wait but not that big you know and uh so the, the tv kind of throws some falsehoods out there right so we want to talk more about tv and that, that kind of sucks i never <laughs> i never thought about that 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 i mean i can see why they would think that it's like yeah this guy's on tv you know you gotta wait forever Without actually making a phone call and asking you or texting you, hey, how busy are you? Call me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's got to be busy because thing. he. What a he, double edged sword. I mean, oh, really, okay, yeah, because like you said, you're on TV, people automatically assume that you're, you're booked way out. And I imagine it's the same way too. Like if you're a shop and say you get your first really big build and you got a chance to shine and your car makes it to the great eight or even wins something like the Riddler. Now, all of a sudden, you're you're battling, hey, you've got instant fame, but nobody's going to go to you because they think you're far too expensive. Which I always say, I, at this point in my career, have absolutely zero desire to build a car for the Riddler. This right. seems to be a recurring theme. We had, uh, we had Rob Ida on a couple of episodes ago, and he expressed a really <laughs> eerily similar sentiment. Yeah, and Rob's a good friend of mine. I kind of like to think like, Rob, if somebody calls me and says, hey, 
we're going after this award. And I was like, you kind of need to rethink that because if you build your car, and again, most of my customers are building their one dream car and that's it. If you're going to build a car to go after the Riddler and AMBR. Now, the guys that have multiple cars and got big collections, this isn't really important to them. But you're going to keep thinking, well, what's the judge going to like here? You could get done with a car that you built for a judge and you don't even like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like any any of these big awards, if you build a car just for a certain award, you're going to get butthurt at some time because you can't win every event. This weekend at Columbus, I don't want to talk about the awards and stuff. Unbelievable group of cars on the street on both sides. Probably better competition than they've had in five years there, really, overall across the board. There was cars that I really thought was a shoe-in that maybe was going to win. Didn't even make the top five. You know, that happens every year. And it's, you know, some of them guys are really upset, probably. Their customers are up. And the money it takes to go after the Riddler, if somebody really came with me with that much money, I was like, okay, let's take that budget and build you 10 cars you can have fun with. We're going to build you an auto car. We'll build you a street route. We're going to build you a custom because that's what it takes to go after the Riddler anymore. I mean, it's, I know guys that spent over 2 million bucks and didn't make the grade eight before. Yeah. Oh, and, and that's just it. And you're at that point where, it, God, how do you make that decision? Do, do I want to have something I really like and fits my needs? Or do I want to have these pygmies whittle out castle nuts from this rare wood <laughs> so that we can make a form? Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. I love it. And it, it always pushes the industry when you see whatever, you know, the three top cars at Detroit, but. I don't even go up there anymore. Since I moved out of the snow from Illinois, I don't like to go to Detroit in the winter. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'll go to Pomona and look at the stuff there. But it's like, again, with social media, you're going to see everything all weekend. You need to anyway. So, and know who won before they win. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and there's you know there's something to be said for those cars, but it's just not my style. Like you said, I'd rather build ten cars. You know, I I, I I'm not what I say. My dad raised me to hate Fords, but now I have so many Ford jokes because we had family friends that were Ford people. But I'm not car prejudice. I mean, there was a cool, I think it won the Home Build Award, a Pacer at Columbus this weekend with big billets on it. And I was nice. like, you know, props to him to build a Pacer, for one. And that was a cool little car. I mean, you can see a cool tuner car that looks neat. And I never really understood the off-road market, but being at the power block and Ian there doing those you know, tube buggies and everything, there's some awesome and talented fabricators in that industry that'll just oh. blow your mind. Oh, yeah. It's like there's cool stuff everywhere, you know, except for rat rods. But <laughs> <laughs> We knew we liked you. <laughs> yeah, there's always something. You know, I hate the people that they just walk up to the cars and they nitpick this and they nitpick that. Of course, the car with ten grand is not going to be as nice as the car with a hundred grand or a million bucks in it. But even on the rat rods, I joke with them guys. I got some buddies that are into them. You can look at just about any car and get an idea. It's like this kid built this rat rod in his garage or barn with a torch and a vice and a hammer. But look at that cool bracket that he built. You know, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I I still think I'm that kid building stuff in the barn with my dad. And uh, there's a lot of, I just want people to get kids, you know, they all start someplace. Like you said, you went to mini trucks. 
You know, a lot of my mini truck guys went, now they're into the, the, the C10 trucks. Yeah. Maybe they all look the same, but <laughs> they're building something different. And some of them guys, I know they've bought, they're building customs next, or they're going to build a street rod or they're going to build a Chevelle or whatever. It's just like, you know, some guys still are doing mini trucks, but the, my two buddies, they come from the mini truck world that used to help me in Illinois. And I love working with mini truck guys because you try to get somebody in your shop to help you that come from the restoration side and they're scared to even cut a bolt off. And those mini truck guys, they'll just cut in, jump in and they ain't scared to cut anything up. <laughs> so it's always fun working with mini truckers. Well, there's the, there, there's an old, uh, there's an old Polish proverb that deals with milking a goat. And, you know, if you know about milking a goat, you can't, you know, it's the impossible task, but many truck guys look at everything and go impossible. Let me show you how to do it. Yeah. And I'll make the show this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've, I've got a good goat story. Growing up, we, me and my sister, now we're getting off the rails, had pet goats. And when I was little, my sister's goat kept getting urinary tract infections. So we, the veterinary did a sex change operation in the barn. That's a crazy story, huh? <laughs> totally not related. But goats, so. As long as we're wow. talking about goats. <laughs> okay, wow. speaking of, remember, remember the talk about social media before? Now i got to figure out how I'm going to hashtag the hell out of this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> goat with high heels. Yeah, when you hashtag goat sex change, probably doesn't bring up another shared posts. This is going to be, oh, we, we're going to own this one. It's going to be trending by the end of the week. <laughs> she couldn't call him Billy Goat anymore, huh? Oh, well, with an goat. E. You're going to spell it with an I-E. <laughs> I-E. Got it. <laughs> nice. So, oh my God. Yeah, I mean, I, I've come to appreciate everything. I mean, everybody has their level of talent when they're building cars. And to me, I mean, there was a point in my life when I was totally against, you know, looking at a lot of stuff. I was like, oh, I'm not into that. I'm not even going to look at it. And maybe you just, you mature a little bit. And one day you realize, hey, maybe the pinnacle of this guy's ability out in the garage was hanging that new fender on that car. Yeah. And, you know, that says a lot. I mean, you think about, okay, you know, the guy says, hey, you know, oh, I I go out in the garage to escape, you know, whatever. Maybe he's got a, a shitty job or a crappy home life. And his whole pinnacle was hanging that that fender he scored at the pick apart, and he got it yeah, in the think, car. And yeah, the gap is horrible, but it's on there. And we kind of forget. I'm gonna say we're kind of jaded, maybe, on what we're used to and what we can do. Um, like my buddy Kevin Tetz, he does the paint education videos. He did a video one time how to paint. I forget what the first one was. How to paint your Mustang or something like that. And they sold good. We got a lot of comments. Can you do a video on how to paint my Camaro? Or whatever. <laughs> and he thought about it. And he's like, well, the Mustang, it's kind of the same, the paint process. And there's so many people out there with blinders on that they look at that Mustang and it doesn't cross-reference to their Camaro. My buddy Scuba Steve is a car guy. He's got an awesome Lay's frame 54 Chevy he's building. And helps me all the time. And he helped me get my dad's 57 Chevy running. We gave it back to my dad at the Tri-5 Nationals a couple years ago. So Scuba Steve comes up and says, I want to go when you get the car back to your dad. He's like, awesome. Well, he went to the show, too. Gave it to him in the parking lot. Went to the show. He's walking around. He goes, man, Tri-5s are really cool. I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, I never really realized that they build them in so many styles. I go, you've never looked at them? He goes, no, because I have a 54 Chevy. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) So I'm just like, dude, there's that LS intake still looks, it's on the 54 or the 57. It's still, you get ideas everywhere. And he's like, oh, I never thought about it. There's a lot of people out there that go through life with blinders on that, you know, we have all of us here are artists and, you know, fabricators and we appreciate everything, you know. Oh, the drag race. And it's like, oh, look at that. You go to the dirt track race. Well, there's cool colors on that drag car, right? Or the dirt track car. And we take it all in. And some people are just, they're set into a certain style and that's it. Yeah. Well, hell, when, when we were doing the resilience car, how many, God, how many nights did we spend just looking at stuff like old radios and toasters? And yeah, man, and when I did, when I did that car, I shut myself off kind of from the outdoor world for a year solid when we were building, when we were finishing it for Hanson's. I didn't hardly look at a magazine. I didn't go to a car show at all for a year because I had a set plan in my head what I wanted to build and I didn't want anything to creep into my subconscious and come out. Um, well, I didn't stop looking also, at magazines. I just looked at things other than car magazines. <laughs> yeah, and we did. Uh, it was awesome working with you on this. Hopefully someday we'll get to go go to bat with something again you know with that much freedom for a cool customer like they are i and, hope uh, so because you know, that was the greatest ever first meeting for a car and everything after that just built on that yeah and then you know like i say it turned into me getting a tv show it was featured in magazines that i couldn't even read from other countries and it ended up being part of the collection <laughs> that could be a, that could be an english magazine too i couldn't be able to read it maybe but it was part of the Peterson collection for about two years and would circle up into the Bruce Meyer gallery. And then it got sold off when the Peterson museum changed hands. So from a middle of nowhere shop to get a car that was part of the Peterson museum collection was pretty awesome. So I found out the same day that that car was going to the Peterson collection. As I found out, my show was canceled (laughs) within an hour from each other. Bittersweet. Yeah. Man, and, well, you're, see, it's funny, you you tend to have a lot of yin and yang like that, but, I mean, but overall, it's nice to know, like, I love it when I see that you're getting recognition for things. I mean, you're in, you're a Hall of Famer. Man. Yeah, that's crazy. Dude. (laughs) Yeah, that's a cool story. I got to take my 54 down, and it's in the National Rod and Custom Hall of Fame Museum, which is ran by Daryl and Donna Starbird on their on their property in Oklahoma. So I took the car down there, helped them put it in the museum, and it's down there for a year or two. And then, I mean, like I say, I'm a custom guy. So all these custom guys are my hero. I didn't know who the sports guy was, the guy that was playing basketball or football or whatever. And my wife's trying to figure out where I'm at. And, but uh, I, I was, you know... The, People that were pinned up on my bedroom wall were BMX racers and hot rod guys. And uh, I got to stay at Starbird's house for a week and help him in the garage every day. And we built some stuff. And it's like, are you kidding me? I'm working with Daryl Starbird. I took a bunch of pictures. I'm going to write an article and try to get it in a magazine, like working with your hot rod heroes. And it's like, I I was just as giddy. As a school schoolgirl, you know, getting asked out on a date or something, or weird. It was like I'm working. I just like I'm pinching myself. I'm working with Daryl Starbird, and you know, I'm staying at his house. Dude, I seen him in his underwear one morning, <laughs> 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 and it was like, how cool was that? That I got to work with, you know, 
was like a lifelong dream. We've been trying to get this together for a couple of years. It was like, it was, we'll bring the car down, put it in the museum, and, and then you can stay. So it was like, it was just, I've got to do a lot of cool stuff in this industry. And like I say, we're not getting rich, but I've got to do some really cool things. You know, the TV show turned into me be able to do these race announcing stuff. Um, now I get to do every, we've done three, I think. We're doing one in January, a Caribbean cruise with Von Hot Rod. And this year, Aaron Hagar is going. Um, that it's a hot rod cruise with car people. Um, we're kind of the hosts. Von Hot Rod hosts the sock hop. We do trivia. We play games. We're like the MCs and the hosts for the week with all these car people that come on the boat. But it's a charity event also that we raise money for America's Vet Dogs. And the last three times that we've done it, we've raised enough money that we get to name a service dog. So that's that's pretty cool. That's wicked. I, you know. Not to not to linger on it, but when you stayed at my house, I offered to show you me in my underwear, and you declined that. So. I was just wishing you would put underwear on. Well, there was that too, but the, the, fair enough. Details, details. Yeah. I just, I, it's good to know where I stand in the Daryl Starbird in his underwear pecking order. You know. Well, I told my wife, and I felt pretty proud, you know, because like I say, I still look up to these hot rod dudes and want to do things that they've done, and. You know, sitting and hearing the stories of the things that Daryl Starbird has done is just amazing. But we wear the same brand of underwear. I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> that was pretty cool. And they're worn in the same spot. It's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the stories that I got that week of, like, not car-related, that they do in between all these events that they did. It's like st- stealing yucca cactuses out in – Arizona and bringing them back to, to Kansas to sell them to stores to pay the bill. It's just like, it's just like oh, every night it was just like stories around the campfire. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> what an education, huh? Yeah. Man. But yeah, on, a little bit of touched on the, on that TV stuff. We kind of got sidetracked, but I've I've actually turned down. I've probably had. I still get pitched probably once a month of somebody coming up with this new TV show they want me to part of. And I've turned down probably seven shows that I've had the contract sit in front of me because I didn't like what they were going for. And of all those shows I've turned down, only one made it to air, and it lasted one season, was gone, and it was ridiculous. And we, we pitched some every once in a while through a couple of pitching agents and producers and stuff. And, you know, TV, everybody says you've got to be on TV, but you don't. And since I've been there and done that, it'd have to be the right thing to do it again. And we actually pitched one. It was kind of my idea and we were doing it with voodoo Larry out of Chicago. Of course it was going to be called strange voodoo. And a year and a half ago, right before SEMA, we got a green light for six episodes that velocity was ordering six episodes. When they say green light, that doesn't mean you really got a show. And they pulled plug out from underneath. It was like three weeks before we were going to start filming. And the whole premise was, traditional customs and hot rods. Half of them are going to be built with me up at Dew's place in Chicago and half of them down here, him coming down here at my shop. No deadlines, no crazy this, but it would be like, oh, we're chopping this car and this is why we do it this way. It was going to be cool stuff that we were tied up with um, American Hot Rod Foundation with all their history and videos of some of these guys we don't have around anymore. And so you could actually learn stuff. And then the powers that be at this network actually said, our viewers aren't smart enough to learn stuff. It's sad how these networks put their viewers 
and you know, I've been close. We were going to do a show once with second strike kids before they went back to prison full time of teaching them a craft. Yes, they may not build a hot rod, but maybe they might be an oil change mechanic or work at a dealership as a parts guy or teach them or, a skill or a and welder or nobody something. Will, they said nobody will watch a show with people helping people. Uh, the way they think of our hot rod industry and their viewers in general is just really sad. The last time with me and Voodoo, they were like, oh, we want you to fight. And it was like, no, we're not. We're not doing that. We're not doing the drama. Yeah, we understand there has to be a deadlines for the cars, but we don't need to dwell on it. We'll build you some cool cars. We'll do this. Then they finally said, a, and it's real easy to get a show on TV if you've got money. They finally said, if you bring us like four or $500,000 of sponsor money, we'll put your show on. You can pay for a season and get on a handful of networks. If it goes over well, yeah, they might back pay you a season. But that's how some of these dudes, they roll the dice if they got money. And they'll buy a season to get on the show. Get a get a show if it works, then they'll be back again. Wow. Oh yeah, and I don't I don't want to mention any show in particular, but there's one I I did work for this past year, which there's no way that they handpicked these guys and said you deserve a show. There was yeah. some money changing hands. Now as I say I don't watch much TV. I set my TiVo, and the shows that I'll watch, they've probably got 35 episodes that I'm so behind on watching anything because. I don't sleep. I sleep two hours at a time. I wake up and I've, I've never slept. I probably, I, I was weird when I was a little kid. Somebody asked, well, what kind of superpower do you want? Not to sleep. I was stupid and I said that. So I really don't <laughs> sleep. So I lay there and I watch movies at night. And uh, I don't mind the Joe Martin show. I don't mind the Kindig show. But I'm friends with all those guys. And the show that I like is Chasing Classic Cars. Even my wife hates it. Because... <laughs> He gets to deal with stuff that I don't get to deal with. I don't get to find a barn find Ferrari or a, you know, a Bugatti and all that stuff. And I, I just dig that because that's not the stuff that I get to work on. So it's about the only shows that I can that I have seen that I watch. And I got a couple buddies that's got new shows, and I they're still on my TiVo that I haven't even watched one because I've been so busy. Right. But the bad thing was me and Brian get together. We can make a call and say, "Hey, draw this bumper this way," and then. Wait, we've been on the phone for two hours. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's five minutes about the bumper, and it's an hour and fifty five minutes about you know why jeans fit funny when it's warmer outside. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's not a joke. Um, <laughs> we have delved into the science of denim, but uh, one of the other things you do, uh, you're announcing with good guys. That that that's a big part, and like. That's one of the things you're you're so damn good at. And I got to tell you, there was a point when, I, and I'm just going to say it, I mean, it's not a knock on good guys by any stretch. I just, I kind of, you know, you get jaded, you get bored of things after a while. And for me, what breathed a little bit of life into it, especially going to the shows out here, was the fact we had autocross. And you're the guy announcing, and it's so damned entertaining to listen to you and catch little jokes every now and then. And there's some great, like, insider kind of one-liners. And how you keep it fresh, run after run after run, especially during the shootout, man, I have no clue how you do that. I actually don't either. I, like I said, when I was a poor age kid, each year you had to get up and give like a speech about how you fed and raised your animals or you wouldn't get your your show checks at the end of the year. And I would get so nervous. I would about puke. Even when I was in high school, I couldn't get up and talk to people. And I just... 
Well, when it's something that you love, you can just you do it. I mean, I announced live in front of 100,000 people before. And if I would think about that, it was like, oh, my God, I'd get all tongue tied. But you just kind of shut it off and just shoot from the hip and try not to cuss. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it works out pretty good. I do. I do. Uh, one year I did 12 events for good guys. This year I'm doing like four or five. Um, I do a bunch of MC work at the Tri Fives. I do a bunch of companies get me to do MC unveilings at SEMA. I host the Armo banquet for them, for Armo nice. group. Um, it's 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 pretty cool. I'd actually like to do more announcing. And uh, the guy Brian from Bangshift got me in, and I did a little uh, sportsman announcing at about three or four actually NHRA nationals a couple summers ago. And sportsman's actually harder than you think it is because there's like 75 subdivisions and super gas or super comp you know and all that and you got to know all that stuff and so they kind of wanted me to announce some regional events but they're all kind of locked in and you're just waiting for that announcer to die off basically to get your next in the line <laughs> i'd really like to do more drag race announcing and stuff like that but i really enjoy the announcement and say it gives me a break of being locked up in the shop for 100 hours at a time and get you a little money and like before I start announcing the autocross, it's like, yeah, I'd go watch a handful of laps and maybe a couple buddies are racing and I'd stop and say hi. But since I've done it, I've got to meet a bunch of cool people that being on the show car side at the good guys, I probably would have never met before. Right. You know, it's a bunch of really cool dudes and, you know, families over there competing with each other. And sure, there's the same thing as the show side. There's people that'll spend three hundred fifty thousand dollars on a purpose-built autocross car and they win absolutely nothing to win except bragging rights it's yeah. just where they spend their hard-earned money same thing as the show car side but they're just racing but right it's it's really it's really pretty cool it's a good time you know of course racing sometimes you get complainers because oh they're they're cheating they're doing this and all that and it's you know no matter you know they're just jealous because somebody's faster or got better equipment but that's when they got all the different classes so I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a good time. Uh, there's a bunch of cool people out there. Like I said, I probably would have never met if I wasn't announcing autocross. That's freaking awesome. And not to, and not to go corny, but, uh, you know, Brad had mentioned something earlier and if it gets a good enough time, you know, you said, you know, there's people you wouldn't have met if it wasn't for doing that. I owe you a huge debt of gratitude for what you did for me coming into the industry. I mean, you and I kind of hooked up out of nowhere on our first project, which was that it was a yellow Chevy pickup truck that I drew for you for the, uh, for a SEMA proposal. Yeah. And, uh, man, we, we were fortunate enough to kind of hit it off as friends and I, I can never say thank you enough because you introduced me to a ton of people and there was a year at SEMA when you took an afternoon and just did nothing but walk me around and introduce me to people. And I can never say thank you enough for that. Yep. Well, I, I don't do that to people that I don't believe in their skills. So, I mean, that means that really that meant everything to me. So I just are we are, are we like doing like a hug or a high five right now? We could. I'm an well, high know, fiver, but I'll so hug you. I know you don't high five, and I know you do hug, and I have a broken pair of sunglasses yet in my hope chest <laughs> from uh, Barrett Jackson's. <laughs> Brian was hoping for some spooning, but you know, well. Hey, 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 don't don't discount that. There's things we don't talk about about Tim's stay here. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, no, but seriously, man, <laughs> thank you for that. That was, uh, and, and because of you, I've made really good friends in this industry. 
So that, and I think that says a lot. It, it kind of goes beyond a day job at some point and it just, it becomes your family. Yep. Yep. So that's uh, that's a really cool thing. So if you're a young dude coming up and uh, you don't have a family, uh, get into cars. Yeah, like you introduced me to one of those young builders that's making a name for himself, that Zach, and I slapped his iPad. <laughs> I was raving my hands, and somebody's like, "Oh, I just broke his whole proposal thing." Luckily, it was good. So yeah, sometimes the, the, yeah, introducing to Tim doesn't work so well. That's great. Yeah, Zach's like, I'm going to start my whole career here this year. It's going to go great. I've got everything I need on this iPad that's laying on the floor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. Because I like to talk with my hands. <laughs> I never think about that. I was like, don't hold that. Oh, well, you'll learn. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and speaking of SEMA, you're you're pretty instrumental in, in that show as well. And I wanted to touch on that before we start closing out. Um, I know God, you, you've had everything go on there from being a, uh, a trendsetter and, and having cars featured there and having built a number of like, for lack of a better word, you know, as they call them like the dollar cars or lifestyle vehicles. Um, and you know, you, you do, you do quite a bit yet with the, the new product judging, correct? Yeah. I'm a uh, bit on the new product judging panel. Um, for long enough that our little category, I'm the head person, I think, uh, 11, 12 years I've been doing new product judging out there, which we look at all the products um, in our categories on – what day do we do that? We do that on a Monday. The show opens on Tuesday, and then the awards, the banquet. and That's what – you know, SEMA is – we could talk forever on that. It's not a car show that people forget. <laughs> it's a trade yeah. show. Right. It's there for the launch of the new products. That's what it's for. And, of course, to raise money so SEMA can fight the government to make sure we still do all this stuff. That's what it is. And I'm not a yeah. fan of all the awards and trophies that they give to the cars because people think it's just a big car show. But, yes, I do uh, new products, and it's really pretty cool because you get to – we get keys, and we get to open the, the, the cabinets up and play with the stuff and make sure it does what it says. You know, some of that stuff, if it's a fuel injection kit, you can't play with it. But you can look at everything and uh, – just a few people on my my judging team. Actually, Zane and Tucci are on that with me, and uh, we take big pride in trying to work hard and pick the right product and make sure it's you know what's needed and what's good and it's not hokey and cheesy. And you know, each year SEMA sets a record for new and new products, but each year we have harder and harder time to pick picking picking a top three that we think are you know deserving of the recognition some years we'll have we're six real good products i mean we're talking about four or five hundred products that we're looking at and there's just wow a lot of the same on a day, one day <laughs> yeah you're you're not going to give best engineered to just another billet wheel design but right. it's the people that put all them products in there they understand that people go there and that's just again it's a trade show getting your product in front of the your consumers is what it's all about and showing your new invention or whatever. So I'm totally fine with them putting seven sets of billet designed wheels because not everybody may see your booth. Not everybody may go to the new product section, but if you have them in more than one place. There's a chance they're going to see you at least once. So that's what, yeah. that's what it's for. So I'm, it's pretty big honor being able to do that. You know, I've been pretty big 
stuff I've got to do through the years of judging, you know, even car shows, certain awards and stuff like that. And the new product thing at SEMA is really pretty cool. And just to make sure that it doesn't get uh, put on, you know, put in any kind of a weird spot, I'm not going to talk at all to you about my new line of carbon fiber signature series ball joints. Yeah, I've heard you talk about your carbon fiber ball joints. So yeah. gonna, they're going to revolutionize the pro touring and autocross industry. But um, so that's, that's a really cool deal. So if you think about it, in a lot of ways, you get to see the new stuff for the most part before the purchasing public, or at least I should say the people who should be in there purchasing the stuff, you know, the right. purchasing agents get to see it. Yeah, we don't need to go on. We, me and you have talked about this before, about the people that get into SEMA that shouldn't be at SEMA. Oh, but yeah. yeah I... It's really it's it's really pretty cool. And actually, SEMA changed their rules a couple of years ago that you'd see all this product. And we gave, hey, this is one of the finalists for a product. And that product never come out. So now and it's like sometimes they used to put out product and a prototype just to test the market at SEMA, which you can't blame them. But now to actually be able to win the award they must guarantee that that thing is going to be to market within within the next year. I mean, that's hard to police, but it's an honesty thing. But, yeah, we've gave awards to stuff before, and, it, and the product never got made because they didn't think maybe they could make money on it or something like that. But, yeah, there's a whole different, different thing, and the sticker's not on it. If the people didn't get it in the right time, you can't judge it and you know, all that stuff. So... Just like anything, you miss the judging for a car show, you don't get in, and the same thing with everything. So if I just put out a 3D-printed version of my 276-degree semi-shorty header, <laughs> yeah, I you actually just have to make say, it Yes, now. I promise to have this able for people to buy within so many months. If you do or not, I don't know if anybody ever polices that anymore. Well, the trick would be then to make it for one car in particular. It's like, this only fits this Pinto serial number, you know, <laughs> with this particular swap, which happens to be one of our other products. Yeah, Pinto. So. Another LS swap? LS headers for a Pinto swap? Well, it's an <laughs> LS with a Hemi head and a 202 Fuley head. It's, it's pretty That's interesting. Right. It's a cool That's adapter. Like Everybody thinks LS swaps are new, too. <laughs> yeah. I think I did my first one in 2000. Wow. There yeah, was two yeah. people making wire harnesses back then, and nobody knew how to make the alternator charge. But, you know, I, I kind of joke about that. And, and some people talk about the youth not being in the hot rods and that this is going to be dying. And, you know, you go to the LS fest and, to me, that's the next younger generation because it's techie, and of course they're putting LSs and everything. But I was on—we actually had two announcers this weekend. Took kind of off the subject, but you said that it kind of made me think of this. And I was looking at this on Sunday. You can bring in a car that's not an American car, as long as it's got an American power plant in it. So sometimes we get stuff with LS swaps, and there was a Miata with an LS swap in it. Little rocket ships when you yes. do that. And I'm standing there looking at it because the other guy was announcing. And I'm kind of looking at it. We didn't get to have a lot of cars on Sunday afternoon. And his dad and his kid come walking through the autocross pits. The dad looked like he didn't even want to be there. You know, sometimes it's the kids that don't want to be there. But the dad was just like, whatever, kind of walking around. And he probably didn't even know a Mustang from a Camaro or something. And this kid, I bet he was 11, 12 years old. And he walked around the corner and he was all excited. He goes, Dad, it's got an LS swap in it. 
And I was like, that was the coolest thing that I seen all weekend that the kid knew more about cars than his dad. He's probably got an uncle that's a car guy or, you know, nice. the next generation is still out there. We just need to help cultivate it a lot. And that, that 12 year old kid knew all about LS. I mean, for a 12 year old kid, he knew a lot. And we were looking at how the headers fit and we were talking and looking and his dad's looking at me like my kid actually knows some stuff. You know, his dad was probably a worked in a cubicle all day and didn't know anything about hot rods. But I was like, that was the coolest thing I seen all weekend at Columbus was that 12 year old kid knew that that car had an LS swap in it. Yeah, I think, like well, my kid, my kid is into it to a point, but I think he's burnt out because he's like, well, that's all Dad does every day, all day. Because he hears you bitching about it all the time. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm giving him the right attitude. You know, yeah. he's always like, I want to be into cars. I'm like, go learn dentistry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what is the third tooth from the back? What's that called? I don't know. Go some learn days it. I wish. Some days I joke. I said it's almost like that. That uh, days of thunder quote. And it's like, yeah, I saved up money enough money farming to go build hot rods. Now I think I need to save enough, enough money building hot rods to go back to farming. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, speaking of, speaking of SEMA real quick, we're actually, since my SEMA build is my Royal Purple panel truck and it's done-ish and getting ready to put miles on it, we are putting together a drive to SEMA, kind of like Posey's used to do the Driven Dirty Tour. So right. some guys doing it, so... Me and my buddy Daryl Johnson from North Carolina that used to be known as kind of like Hot Rod Elvis. He was like the Elvis-looking guy on all the overhauling shows. Right on. And uh, we're going to start a road tour in Nashville. I like advanced plating, and then we're going to the Poteet collection, and then we're going to the Mark Warwick and his dad's collection in Amarillo. Nice. Um, oh, in between, we're going to the Starbird Hall of Fame Museum. Um the Unser Museum in Albuquerque, and maybe actually have an Unser giving us the tour of the museum. Um, another private collection there, and then Lake Havasu to go to a couple shops there and some boat places and private collections, and then end at a big collection in Vegas. And we look like we're going to have a company follow along and film it for a YouTube thing. So, how cool! Wow, yeah. very cool. I think we're going to have a lot of guys in truck and trailers chasing, but. Daryl's actually building a all hand-built inline motor vintage IndyCar looking thing, and the plan is for him to drive it all the way there. Nice. Yeah, with Elvis hair, sideburns, and sunglasses. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so it's, it's loosely being named the Strange Road Trip to SEMA. I guess that you can name a lot of things when you have a name like that. Perfect, perfect <laughs> name for it, though. It's perfect. Yeah. Well, I would like to, with you're okay then, because we'll be up at SEMA this year. I would like to, I mean, we'll talk well before then, but I would like to, uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot either. You could say no, that'd be great for our listeners. Be like, we'd like to get in touch with you at the SEMA show and maybe get an inside look at the tour and have you just right now go, no. No, I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, I'm good. Yep. That'd be awesome. Walk around and accidentally knock people's iPads out of their hands. I'm gonna, <laughs> I will bring a stunt iPad just for that particular. Yeah. Just don't drop it on a car. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah like don't pull an Eric. Yeah, hey. Say anything hey. <laughs> you should you should tell him what you did, Eric. You Alex push. pushed me. I did not. I watched. He dropped the phone. <laughs> it was on the a, shot on heard on around the world. On a Troy no, car, man. He dropped a phone on a Troy car. He didn't <laughs> drop on the car. It no, he didn't touch the car. car. It was 
really close. Well, the, oh my god, this all fits together. Tim gave the intro for the debut of the Mariani car at the SEMA show last year. Yep. Uh, holy crap, this all ties together beautifully. And then Eric beat it up. It's perfect. Yeah. And Eric, then Eric <laughs> broke the car. So it worked out great. <laughs> my phone did not hit the car. It did hit the trophy next to the car and destroyed my phone. The trophy yeah. was fine. Yeah. That's testimony <laughs> and, to a quality. And award, everyone man. looked. What I was tell you, it was you know a buzzing like SEMA does, but man, that thing went bing and it made a ring oh. and sound against that trophy. It's like everybody stopped. I'm like, <laughs> what yeah, you was that? Heard a pin drop out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said something like, "Oh shit," or something like that. And... That echoed all the way down Hot Rod Alley. Troy, I'm sorry. All the way to the Sahara where the paint SEMA show was going on. <laughs> the how to paint your Camaro. <laughs> the touch-up paint booth. Down by the tire bodega, everything stopped. <laughs> Even the Asians stopped. <laughs> well, I, I, I'd like to have you back to maybe touch in before SEMA, do a quick, like, you know, I'm going to see a five-minute, which will lead to two hours or something but kind of have you back on touch base before then and get a little update on the uh on the tour and everything like that that you're planning because i think that's way cool cool and i couldn't be happier for you to be doing that and man again i i can't say thanks enough for hanging out with us thanks you, for having me we had a yeah. great time thanks tim yeah you have been on my short list from day one. I know we, we tried touching base a couple times and it's always been, well, I'm busy. I got this going on or you got that going on. And Well, then I did that a couple of weeks ago. We had one scheduled and I was like, I'm not in the mood this week because I might just say, screw it. I quit. So I wasn't in a very good mood that week to have the podcast. <laughs> no, it's all good. All those people good. out there that have a hot rod shop, they'll totally understand that. Right. Oh, yeah, I think every one of us, we, we all quit at least once a week, so. Yeah, and some of us come back. Yeah, I think every build during the last at least month, I quit. I'm never doing this again. What did I do wrong in my life to get me in this career path? We've, we've all been there. <laughs> I actually wanted to be an architect, but I couldn't afford architect school. So that's my next, other than hot rods and bmx i love buildings and i'm kind of a mid-century modern design nerd and very cool yeah. well maybe you know and yeah how many times you and i have talked so many times it's like did you see what that thing on page 60 of the new atomic ranch how many times have yeah. conversations started like that <laughs> it's like we went and we go to a movie like twice a year. We went and seen The Incredibles 2 the other day, and it was full of mid-century modern stuff, and I kept elbowing my wife. Look at that. Look at that. That office in the movie is actually modeled off, off of Harley Earl's office. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. My wife and I do a lot of mid-century modern uh, furniture and stuff. So, And hair. And hair, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, cool, man. I... Again, I thank you, sir, for uh, not only this, but again, for everything uh, you've done in my life and for your friendship. Yep, I appreciate everything, too. I hope anybody that will actually tune it in to listen to this instead of they see that it's like, who's this guy? Yeah, I don't need to listen to this guy. <laughs> oh, my wife, why do they want to talk to you? <laughs> oh, come on. Well, wait, wait till we have her on. That's going to be this is this will be fun, too. 
Oh, God, tell her you said a whole bunch of stuff. She used to work for 15 years. She was side by side and did all the upholstery in the cars. And now she got tired of dealing with people with upholstery towards the end of the builds that didn't have money to pay for the upholstery person. So now she works for a marketing company that she's like the head registration for car craft shows and hot rod power tour. Oh, how neat. Roadkill events. Their company runs the Ultimate Streetcar Series, the Drive Autocross. So she's working harder than I am at SEMA because they they run all the, the Optima Alley, and she's uh, the head sponsor lady for, this is kind of funny, I think speaking of SEMA, that a couple companies that I'm not going to say, it's not that I'm not proud of what she's doing, it's because then more people's going to hit her up, that people will cold email for stuff thinking that there's just a marketing person on the other end that's not an actual car person <laughs> and make up all kinds of bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, guys. And they've been, you know, Street Machine of the Year finalist. And it's a shop that we have never heard of. She'll be like, I mean, I don't look at all of her stuff, but sometimes she'll run stuff by me. He's like, who's this? I was like, yeah, they're pulling your leg. She goes, I thought so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but then you get like, she'll get crazy. Like, like I said, Rocky Robertson showed me how to do a little bit of marketing stuff, and marketing's got totally crazier since whatever 1995 or whatever and she'll get like through the email like a crazy like a text message with no capital letters no punctuation trying to get sponsored even from a big race team she got one not too long ago and it was just like did their kid do this and it's like it's a little crazy what people think is marketing and think is sponsorship proposal when it's not wow so yeah she is turn people down because they just they're not smart enough to fill out a form so i'm shocked at uh at, at how little good grammar or sentence structure seems to be prevalent in that part of the industry well i think it's gotten worse everywhere in the last couple of years like it's not cool to use capitalization and punctuation <laughs> i yeah i don't even use proper inflection when i speak anymore <laughs> But okay, there, there's there's your homework for the week, gentlemen. We all need to come up with the greatest ever proposal letter, and then send it to her. We are going to make Carrie's life uh, joyful. It, it, see if she picks out one of the four specifically. You know. oh, that'd be so awesome. That'd be like winning a contest. We're gonna combine these into one epic, epic letter. <laughs> These guys have won everything. They've even got a Nobel Prize. <laughs> Heavyweight yeah, champion. Like Those are easy to get now. It's crazy because it's not just automotive. It's boat and marine and tractor poles and, you know, everything is one company. So it's like they get they come in from all over the place. And it's like pretty crazy what people think is like. She actually had one person, I won't name names, that runs a very popular podcast series also. And they come at them, and the first line of the proposal was, yeah, we don't like your product, but if you give us a pallet full of them, we will test them and give a honest feedback. Delete. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We don't like your We really? don't like it. But yes. we'll take a pallet of it. Okay. Yep. As if they think that you know they're going to send them a pallet just to prove they've got good stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. If we really oh, liked yeah, it, we'd have asked for two pallets. 
Oh my god, wow. yes so that's a marketing all on its own. We just need to come up with a fake award that we've won. We need like the we won the Bruce Campbell Army of Darkness Award at the twenty sixteen. <laughs> 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 what does it involve? Oh, it involves the only Pontiac to travel through time. It's pretty good. Yeah. The best one arm artist uh, in the country. <laughs> hey, we're and we're right back to uh, Edward Scissorhands. This worked out. Well. <laughs> Nice job. Oh, man. It's probably late where Tim's at. You're probably yeah, I'm trying to sleep. wrap it up. In a... I don't even know what time it is, but usually I'm still at the shop. So, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Tim. That's uh, yeah. I, yeah. I learned a lot about you. It's actually quite quite entertaining, and, and I got some good stuff out of it. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Someday time, we'll do another you. one. I'm not censoring myself. Oh, <laughs> hell yes. <laughs> Round six, after hours. Unplugged. Uh, it's another round six pants. Well, this one was pants optional, too. So <laughs> I thought they all were. Damn it. Yeah, all, every other one. But thank yeah, I you, think sir. you guys are doing very good on your podcast, so thanks a lot for including me in the pretty stellar guys that you've had on here to start with. So that was it's an been, honor it's to been have a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I just you. finally yeah, started it's... listening to podcasts in the shop, so I listened to... Uh, yours and I listen to a lot of BMX podcasts. Actually, when I'm having a bad day, it makes me forget about cars. Why I'm still working on cars. So, <laughs> wait a second. How did this handlebar get in this car? Yeah, right. Reach down, feel your shin scars, and go. Oh yeah, I remember this. <laughs> I, did, I did a car like that once. I did a Ford Falcon, and the guy let me like. I made tubes that BMX stems held the radiator and the gas tank in, and it had bear trap pedals for the accelerator and brake and all that. Nice. That's awesome. That was a cool car. That, was, that car had a fantastic chassis. You know what I'll do? With your okay, I'll, I'll put a, I'll put at least a picture of the chassis. I'll put pictures of the car. I'll, I'll throw those in the show notes if that's okay with you. Yep, that's fine. My fingers still hate me on that car. <laughs> Well, Tim, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Most appreciated. And, uh, hey, you have a great week, sir. We will touch base with you. Uh, like I said, we'll get you on. We'll do uh, a yeah, pre-SEMA. just sounds dirtier than it's meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pre-Vegas? That sounds better. Yeah, we'll be on pre-Vegas <laughs> if you'd like. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do an uncensored one. That'll be fun. We'll make that a kind of a members-only podcast. NC-17. <laughs> I think we all have a little bit to share on that. So. <laughs> so for the benefit of our listeners, Tim, uh, we, know we talked about social media and things like that. How can our seven and a half listeners find you? Um, of course, Facebook. I've got a, you know, a normal friend page that I think it's weird that it's capped out at 5,000 when I probably actually have 10 real friends. <laughs> and the uh, strange motion rod and custom page on facebook we try to post on there um instagram i post quite a bit my personal one which i seem to use more is rod builder and tim strange on there um and then there's a strange mo- motion rod in custom just an n in there not and um and then we have the strange motion way is our youtube channel and for years, people didn't really understand that oh, we were a, really a small shop. So there's actually a video on there with all our eight employees. <laughs> it's meet the staff. It's me in different accents. 
and mustaches <laughs> and my right. outfits and uh, clothing and accents. She thought I was an idiot, and then she got into it by the end of the video. She has a mustache on, too, and she's doing the yard work. <laughs> so, yeah, we try to post stuff. We posted up quite a bit of videos. We still got some more coming up on this vehicle we just built for Royal Purple. So we're, we're trying to do more stuff on the YouTube channel also. Um, I think that's more the way to go than actually TV because people don't have attention span to watch a half-hour show anymore. So they want to watch, like, 10-minute episodes of things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Instagram, Rod Builder, Strange Motion, Rod and Custom, and the Strange Motion Way on YouTube. Excellent. And we will try not to have any underwear photos of you on our website, as far as you know. <laughs> well, if he has a fake mustache, it's okay. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, he'd be incognito. Depends on where you put the mustache, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's one of the things I read about with the NC-17 rating. Where is the mustache located? Oh, it's, oh, it's, it's in the no-no triangle. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> nice. So, awesome, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Well, all right, sir. You have a great evening. Okay, you guys too. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank, Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. All right. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to our guest, and thank you for listening. As always, I'm Brian. I'm still Brad. I'm Alex. I'm Eric. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks again. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on YouTube.com. He was sweating like Brian trying to read. Hey, 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 hey. This is some big words there. <laughs>